Hello and welcome to the Bag Clan Fantasy Football Podcast. Back as always, beginning of the season, preseason night. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Blake. I've got you know the regular standbys, the not as cool people, Rob and Tyler here as well. How are we doing, guys? Wow. Wow, right? I don't know. Let's take a league poll on that. Yeah. Yeah. League I, poll I, says Tyler we're, we're sucks. pulling up on the Twitter. Yeah, unlike yeah, the league, unlike the league poll we took for the changes this year, right? <laughs> yeah, on that Twitter that everybody knows exists. Kickers are terrible and we don't respect them. That's, That's right. right. We get rid of them and add a flex. It makes sense if you don't think about it. Right, exactly. Show me your uh, defenses. So yeah, your defense. We're back. We're back for a whole new football season with the bad clan. Um I don't know. Do you guys got anything to add? Any I mean crazy shit you want to cover the, the rules before we jump into other shit? No, I mean, I'd say just we'll tease our tasty treat that's coming up later. Um, we but tasty treat. we do have a tasty treat. But, you know, beyond that, no, we could just, you know, jump where you want to jump there, fearless leader. Yeah, so our tasty treat's going to be a interview with a, what is he, a physician? Doctor of physical therapy. Doctor of physical therapy coming up later. But first, everybody's favorite part of the Bad Clan Fantasy Football podcast. Uh, the news and notes. So, so let's get into it. All righty. I think we should start out with probably the largest news story over this offseason, uh, the Aaron Rodgers saga. I mean, it all turned out that he was going to land in Green Bay, but it was obviously a lot of turmoil throughout the whole process, throughout, you know, weeks and weeks. How, does that affect, you know, the, the Green Bay team as a whole this year? Because he's you know, obviously ready to be out of there next year is kind of the way it seems. Yeah, they, they restructured his contract so that um, it, it basically makes it financially uh, imprudent to – imprudent? Is that a word? Anyway. Prudent. It, no, the opposite of prudent is what I was going for. Uh, but um, it's bad for the Green Bay Packers to have Aaron Rodgers on their roster next year. They are financially incentivized to either trade or cut him. Um, and so it he's not going to be there next year, more than likely. Um, as far as it affecting them this year, I don't know. I mean, I think the biggest thing this affects is it gives Devontae Adams clarity. And, you know, because I think he's in the last year of his deal, isn't he? Yeah, they were trying to resign him. Uh, to, you know, a, a new lucrative contract. They were going to make him the highest paid receiver, which is what he wants, but he wasn't willing to sign up for four or five years, not knowing who's throwing in the ball. Um, and I, he's still not going to sign no. based on a one-year farewell tour with Aaron Rodgers. Um, yeah, because at the end of the year, just like you said, A, it's, you know, prohibitive, financially you prohibitive Thank you for them to keep Rodgers, and he can just in the agreement he can just play and ask for a trade and just say, yeah, I want to be traded. And then they have to trade him. Right. And now that everybody knows that he's, they're going to get a bag of rocks for him, you know? Yeah. So whatever. Yeah. I, I imagine you basically see, I, you know, I don't know if Aaron Rodgers will officially be a free agent, but he's going to be a free agent next off season for all intents and purposes. And I imagine Devonte Adams will be as well. Yeah. So the only thing this maybe changes is Green Bay might push their chips all in. And if they uh, if they think they're a Super Bowl contender this year, come trade deadline time, if they see a hole, they might push everything to the middle to get best player available. 
to, uh, you know, fill it. Yeah, I could see that. So um, just kind of moving in away from the still in the Rogers strain, um, Denver, it was all sorts of talked about how Rogers is going to leave Green Bay and the, his most, most likely landing spot is going to be Denver. Uh, obviously, that didn't happen. And now it's the Drew Locke show. Uh, how do we feel about that for at least fantasy implications? I mean, neither one is great. You know, whether it's um, Drew Locke or it's um, uh, what's his name? Carolina, Teddy Minnesota. B. Teddy B, thank you. Winning, you know, neither one of them are really a push the ball down the field kind of guy. Um you know, they've got good offensive weapons um, in Denver. And I, I just think the, their quarterback situation holds all them them guys back. They're all going to be pretty good for fantasy, but it caps them based on who they've got thrown the ball. Yeah, and I mean, this is another situation where I think Denver is incentivized to give Locke the opportunity and fall, let him fall on his face. That yep. way, when he falls on his face, you know it's either – you either have Bridgewater or sign Bridgewater long-term because I think he only, he's only got one year left. Or you say, all right, we're back to the drawing board as far as quarterbacks go. Right. And and that's where you're at. So I imagine we'll see Drew Locke start the season. Uh, it's been – it seemed like every time Drew Locke has a good day uh, this training camp, so does Teddy Bridgewater. And every time they have a bad day, they both have a bad day. <laughs> right. So I don't – I, I haven't heard much about, you know, who's leading or what. No one. I mean, reports out of Denver are that no one separated themselves. It's like, and so based on that, just like you said, you may as well give the kid you drafted the chance to see if he's worth anything. And they've got the weapons. As long as those weapons stay healthy, um, you know, he's going to, he's going to do well or he's going to fail. And then they're in the quarterback hunt next year. Ready? Um, so we're going to talk about injuries in particular, you know, with our you know, oh, special segment Rob, later. Did yeah. you want to talk about the running backs over there? Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Actually, since we were, yeah, since we we're talking about Denver, I, I mean, I alluded to that they've got good weapons. I mean, there is a big thing. Um, word out of Denver. Everybody thought that at first it was going to be um, the vet. Uh, I'm Gordon. having an old man, Melvin Gordon. Thank you. I'm gonna have just old, the best time at remembering an old man brain. We're, we're not. Chairs. We're not in. You can tell that we're in the off season too. Apparently, right? Evidently, I got to practice more. Um, Melvin Gordon, um, you know, was going to be the uh, ball carrier. They got rid of Philip Lindsay, so there was no more competition for carries. Then they go and draft the rookie, and now word is that this kid is good enough that he may start. If he doesn't start the season as the number one, he's going to overtake Gordon real quick. Yeah, um, I saw that too. It really makes me disappointed that I he got taken, what, two picks before me? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a tough situation from a fantasy standpoint. I mean, it's good for Denver. You've got two good running backs, but it's tough from a fantasy situation. I guess the upside is the rookie. Um, but Gordon, you know, I mean, you could have, you know, uh, you know, a sack of corn for a player um, after week three. Yeah. I mean, anybody that's been following, um, you know, that plays dynasty and follows the rookies closely knows that Javante Williams has been, his arrow has been pointing up basically since December. I mean, yeah. um, him and Michael Carter were 
a one-two punch in that North Carolina backfield. And uh, he, it was kind of like the best running back for fantasy is going between him and Najee is going to be whoever lands in a better spot in ETN. But ETN was kind of the, you know, three there pretty clearly. And, you know, quite frankly, I still think Javante, maybe not this year, but long-term is going to be the better fantasy asset than Najee. You know, I I would not doubt that. Najee's going to have a a better year this year because he's the clear, you know, Pittsburgh wants him to be the cure to their running game woes. Um, But yeah, uh, I agree with that long-term. All right. So, like I was saying before, before I got was uh, derailed, um, we we are going to talk about injuries and injury related players, especially training camp injuries, a lot in our uh, segment later with our guest. However, I just wanted to get a little bit of insight on what you guys are feeling about the Colts situation right now. We all know Wentz is continuing continuing what he's uh, great at is being hurt. Um, but the Colts came out and said that they are officially not seeking any trades. Like, you know, looking for a Nick Foles or a Gardner Minshew. They're not officially not seeking any of that stuff. Yeah, they're really hoping. I mean, report on the pregame uh, was that, you know, they gave, what, a 5 to 12-week time frame, and they're really believing it's closer to the 5 that he might just miss a couple games. Um, so from their standpoint, if they're that optimistic about how the surgery went and that he'll be back, you're not going to trade for a guy, for one thing. Um and they're just going to, you know, go with the guys that are in camp right now and hope that they can get through the first few games. But I tell you, it's it's until he's back and back 100 percent, it downgrades all of your offensive players for the Colts. If you if you have them or are thinking of drafting them, here's the thing that um, it could be a bigger deal than we're making it out to be right now. Don't forget the Colts if Carson Wentz plays less than 75% of the snaps this year, they only have to trade Philly a second round pick, not their first. That was in the contingent in the trade. So all of a sudden we have a, what a 17 game season. He's five to 12 weeks. I think they're going to be really, 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 really conservative with Carson Wentz because if all of a sudden they're like, yeah, he could probably come back, but you know, it's not a hundred percent yet. Why not just take it? Why not just take another loss and preserve a first round pick? Right. So as far as as far as fantasy implications go, let's let's branch it out to not only the receivers, uh, and then I'll bring up my next point: uh, the guard Quentin Nelson mm-hmm. out for another again five five to twelve. Yeah. So exact same, same injury. injury. Yeah. Yeah. So we're looking at you know that affects Jonathan Taylor, that affects you know the backup quarterback whoever that is while Wentz is out the Colts might be, I mean, useless in fantasy as far as production goes. Yeah. I mean, you know who this really sucks for is dynasty players who pushed all their chips into the middle, drafting Jonathan Taylor as like that last piece they needed to go over the hump and to win a championship. And now it's like, well, he's immediately been downgraded significantly. Um, And I know in redraft, he's, so right now I think he's going b- or back half of the first round uh, before the injuries. I don't know, guy. Where do you guys take him now? I I was just eyeballing like top of the third, maybe. I mean, yeah. I'd probably I'd probably still take him in the second, depending where I'm at and what I took in the first. Right. 
you know, if I, if I took a Devonte Adams or I took the tight end or something, you know, I, I would take a chance on him in the second for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's a tough call. Um, it does move him down. That's a hundred percent for sure. Yeah. You know who I actually might not upgrade, but may maintain their value. I think is Paris Campbell in more of that. Um, you know, if the offense is going to become more horizontal and vertical, mm-hmm. you know, getting him involved in the wide receiver screen game and end rounds and, you know, just getting motion into that offense. I think he could be the one guy that uh, maintains while these injuries are, um, you know, recovering. Yeah. It's going to move other running backs up, you know, obviously, right. you know, if, if there wasn't this injury, you know, I'm taking a Taylor before I take a Nick Chubb just because, you know, he's the game in town. Now I would take Chubb before I would take Taylor. Right. You know, and, and players like that, you might even, you know, I'm not a big Mixon fan. I, I think we're all aware of that, but you know, if you had them both sitting there knowing what, you know, it'd be tough. I mean, you'd be taking a that, risk taking Taylor. That would be a really hard one because Wouldn't Cincinnati. It? Well, Cincinnati got Chase, not Sewell, right? Right. So, man, they didn't help their offensive line at all. No. So you you're gonna have a bad offensive line all year versus the Colts. You know that might get better. J- Jonathan Taylor could be one of those guys that uh, if you can slog through the first six weeks or whatever, he could be a league changer. Yeah. Um, but. I, I don't know if you can give up that kind of draft capital for, you know, the potential of a league changer. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's going to be a painful decision and I'm, I'll probably end up being the one to do it in our redraft league. <laughs> let's be honest. Uh, I always really sucked out those, those decisions down real hard. So um, as far as quarterbacks go, I got one more that I want to talk about. Right. Uh, it's another one that's been pretty prevalent throughout the off season, Deshaun Watson. So rumors really heated up the last couple of days that there's a trade brewing with uh, Philly. But then I just saw a report from Jay Glazer, I'm pretty sure, saying uh, Texans not returning Watson trade calls. So I don't know what to make of that one. I mean, I think that that means that Philly is upping their package um, and maybe they're not getting a call back, but maybe it's kind of a, you know, you get a head nod back and they're like, all right, cool. And Houston's just going to sit on it and kind of wait and see what happens. But Philly has always had the most to offer as far as a trade package goes. Um, that certainly can't feel good for dynasty managers that have shares of Jalen Hurts, Blake, Hi. <laughs> uh, on both of your teams, I believe, right? Let's not talk about it right now. It's It would be a real shame if, uh, somebody else on this podcast had just traded Jay- Jalen Hurts to Blake in this previous offseason. Oh, darn. Uh, I think both are true. Honestly, both those reports. I think there's a lot of teams that would like to make a trade for Watson, and I don't think they're fielding those calls. The Philly one has been in place for a while. Right. That offer was made you know, a month or whatever ago. And I think you're right. You hit it on the nose that they probably decided they're going to up their offer. Um, and that's probably that channel's already open. So it's not like they're fielding calls. Right. No, that one's already been established. Um, and I think those talks are heating up. Um, I wouldn't, with the Texans, I wouldn't be surprised if nothing happens, but I wouldn't be surprised if in the next week or two, 
they pull the trigger on it and Watson goes to Philly. It doesn't mean he's playing for Philly, uh, by the way, to start, because he's still got to clear his legal hurdles and all that. Um, so I don't know. It is it is good news thus far that he hasn't been put on the commissioner's exempt list. So that's huge because yeah. once once you're I mean, that's the, like the kiss of death for his season if he gets put on that. Right. Um, but what does it say about Jalen Hurts that these talks are intensifying now that we're in, you know, getting ready to start the preseason and we're ending training camp? I mean, I don't, not, I don't think, I don't think much. Philly has any quarterback you, loyalty whatsoever. You, you don't think that that it says anything it about what they, because uh, new head coach, right? Head coach inherited Jalen Hurts. You don't think and, that that says anything about what he's seeing in training camp and what he? I, I think wants. the Eagles are an organization that just breeds. Uh, give me, give me the name, give me the best available. They don't really have that much loyalty to any of their players almost across the board. Well, I mean, what also does it say? I mean, granted he's hurt now, so you can't really say that that was a bad move. Um, but Carson Wentz, what does it say about him that they were ready to show him, you know, willing to show him the door and hand the reins over. And it's like, well, now hold on a minute. Right. Which is why I think, I think it's coming from the, I think the coach is now pushing. And saying, look, you brought me in here because I believed in Jalen Hurts. And by all accounts, that's what what it was, was that Doug Peterson did not want Jalen Hurts as his starting quarterback. And ownership said, no, that, that's our starter. And yep. now new head coaches in and all of a sudden Deshaun Watson to Philly, Deshaun Watson to Philly, Deshaun Watson to Philly. I'm just one. I, I don't know. I just wonder if they got a new voice in there that believed in Jalen Hurts. And now he saw what Jalen Hurts is and is going, yikes. Yeah. So, and Jalen Hurts has never been an incredible passer. He's made it. He's made do with his passing. Jalen Hurts is what Lamar Jackson haters think Lamar Jackson is. Does that make sense? Where yeah. they're like, yeah, he's, yeah. he's all legs. He can't throw it all. Like that, that's well, actually what Jalen Hurts is. That's what Lamar Jackson has been whenever he's been on my fantasy team. <laughs> oh, since we're talking Philly, what do you think of the report that came out that, uh, Scott and um, Miles are going to be 50-50 split this year, running the ball. Yeah, okay. Do you believe that? No. Is that just preseason coach speak um, to try to get you know his starter and, to, to uh, play better? Yeah, and Sirianni uh, has already been on Rager about stuff, like giving him a lot of tough love. So I, I think it's coach speak. I think he's just okay. not happy what he's seeing out of Sanders and is saying, well, and he, the first thing he said when he came in is like, every job is open. It's an open competition all across the board. And so I, I think it's just coach speak. And I, yeah, Sanders will be what he has been. No, which is hurt all the time and uh, disappointment to his parents. Well, all right. I got, at least to his I got two parents. more his fantasy parents, <laughs> two more little notes. All right. Uh, so Tyler, I think, I believe it was our post dynasty uh, draft podcast that you talked about ETN at length. Yeah. There was a report I read recently that in training camp, ETN is quote uncoverable. Great. So why not take one of the receivers if you wanted somebody to catch passes? And, and in the first round. Yeah, I don't know. Well, yeah. You, well, that's where they're lining him up. They're lining him up like right. Uh, like I said, it's 
Fine. Okay. So what, what's best case scenario here for ETN that he's uh, a worse version of Al- Alvin Kamara? Like, is that, is that what we're putting as his ceiling? Probably yes. Great. So still, if he's a worse Alvin Kamara, uh, because he doesn't have the elusiveness of Alvin Kamara, he's got a, you know, better top end speed, but he has way worse elusiveness and, and Kamara's incredible on contact balance. Like he just doesn't go down. So yeah. um, I'm even trying to think of a better comp because I don't even think that that's a good comp. I'm, I'm just, I'm saying like Alvin Kamara workload, but not so much the player. Okay. I don't think he's going to put up, you know, Alvin Kamara numbers with that. So, you know, from an NFL standpoint, again, you're adding to a position that you were fine at because urban wanted to do that, I guess. Uh, and from a fantasy standpoint, um, I, I just want to, I don't know what to think about that backfield this year. I, I just want to see it. And I, I'm deathly afraid that we're going to be disappointed by both players. Yeah, I want no part of Jacksonville's backfield. And I also think that uh, Urban is going to use LaVisca Chenault in the Percy Harvin role from, you know, Ohio State offenses of past. And uh, and so you're not even going to get like the end arounds and stuff like that for ETN. Like, I think that's all going to be LaVisca Chenault. And so I, I just I think you're going to be disappointed with both of them. I don't know it. I. Truly, when when we when I'm gonna be on the board for a redraft league, I have no clue what I'm gonna do about those two guys. No clue. I don't want any offensive players from Jacksonville except maybe Chenault. That's it. And that depends on the round, obviously. Right. Yeah. All right. Last thing I got for us before we move into our next uh, segment of the podcast is a player that Tyler and I have definitely talked about. For the last couple of years, uh, was rumored to ask for a trade from the team he's currently on, and it is now all of a sudden getting lauded by his quarterback, his head coach, and making plays in training camp. I'm talking about Dakeel Harry. Yeah, no, this is everything that you're hearing right now. Nikhil Harry is a training camp superstar, and when it when he goes out and he's facing the number one corner on the other team, he's never going to leave the line of scrimmage because he's going to take 42 steps to go three yards. He's terrible. <laughs> he's te- when, when's the last time that, uh, what is Nikhil Harry going into his third year, right? Yes. Yeah. When's the last time we saw somebody do nothing, nothing for their first two years and then break out year three. Cause at least Devonte Parker was like involved. Right. Right when he right. had his whatever fifth year breakout, he was involved. And there was always like, um, you know, it was always like, all right, Devontae Parker has the opportunity. Well, he did. And then something happened, blah, blah, blah. Nikhil Harry, like nobody's even saying he has the opportunity right now. He's trying to fight his way back into the starting lineup. He's terrible and nobody should draft him. Yeah, I agree. It's, we talked earlier about, is this just preseason, you know, talk Nikhil Harry being anything other than a, a schmo is just talk. Right. If anything else, they're trying to beef him up a little bit so that they could maybe get a seventh rounder for, from some sorry ass willing to get to kill Harry thinking (laughs) they're getting a former, what was he a late first or second round or whatever the heck he was. 
and then they're getting you know somebody's prize catch for peanuts instead they're you know giving them the hog's ear for um, a big mac I have no idea what that analogy was, but I completely agree with what you were saying. I don't want to touch it. Nikhil Harry's the hog's ear. You don't want that. And all you're getting is a seventh rounder, which is at least better. That's a Big Mac. At least you enjoy it for a second. Why is a Big Mac a seventh rounder? I'd give up at least a third rounder for a Big Mac. Oh, that's overpaying. But we all we all I'll, we all I'll know do, the quarter pounder. I'll do a Big Mac for a third rounder, or a Big Mac in cash considerations for a third rounder. Oh, there you go. Maybe some nugs. Uh, just a uh, a fun question in a redraft: Is Nikhil Harry worth a roster spot? No. Okay. How many how many rounds are there? We're talking. What do we have? Sixteen rounds? No, we might have eighteen. I don't remember. So, in in anything less than twenty, no. No. Oh wow, that's backwards. Uh, I was trying to pat. I was trying to pass a note to my co-host, except it's backwards. No, it, it uh, was backwards for you. I could read it just fine. Oh, gotcha. Uh, Tyler is crying about wanting to talk about Cam Akers. Well, we oh, had it okay. on the docket, and you skipped it. No, not your, not my docket. Your docket. Yeah, gotcha. No, I well, mean, let's do. Let's do. We obviously know that he's um, done for the year, and we'll talk about the injury itself with uh, with our guest. Um, but I guess, Rob, take me through what you think about the Rams' backfield going into redraft season. Well, okay. I think it's going to be a mix between all three guys. I I don't think – Henderson's the guy that's the lead dude now, right? I, they don't want to put all of what they were going to put on Cam on him because he can't take it. He hasn't shown at any point in his NFL or, NFL or collegiate life that he can take – those kinds of carries. So they're going to limit him and they're going to play. Um, I don't even remember their name, the, the kid who has a weird name, Funks or Funk or whatever. Jake Funk and what? Yeah. Xavier Jones is the other one. Xavier Jones. Okay. Yeah. Funk, the, the new kid. And then Jones, he's a second year guy, I believe. They're going to, Jones has looked pretty decent in, he might be a three year guy, whatever. Um, pretty decent in preseason. They're going to mix those guys in quite a bit. Um, so I, I don't know that you're going to get, you know, fantasy out of any one of them that it makes makes it worth it. I think what it does is it makes them more of a passing team. Oh, I, I disagree. I think if you can, uh, if you hit on the player that it's going to be, you're going to be thrilled because I don't think any of these guys are going to get drafted high enough um, where you're super concerned about the draft capital you're putting in. And so if you find which one it is, I think you're going to feel awesome okay. about it. Okay, I believe I believe Henderson's going to be overdrafted. So that's why I wouldn't want any part of him. I, I feel he'll be overdrafted because they'll be like, oh, I'll be like getting Cam Light, and I don't think you will be. I think you'll be right. getting a guy that is going to get hurt. If there's anybody in this backfield I would want, obviously I want him later because you don't want to you know waste a lot of capital on him, it is Xavier Jones. Um, he could be a little nug, as we're talking about, in the rough there. Um, and when Henderson gets hurt, because he will – um, he could take the show and literally run with it. Um, but I, I do, I don't think it necessarily hurts the pass catchers. I do think now that they've got, uh, Stafford, as long as he keeps his thumb off of other people's helmets, I think he'll be fine. Um, and I think they'll be able to sling it around the yard and be, I think they'll be all right. 
And now I'd like to introduce our special guest at FB Injury Doc from Twitter. Uh, special guest on the podcast. Thank you. Welcome, Dr. Edwin Porras. All right. We are here with our special guest, Edwin Porras, uh, doctor of physical therapy at FB Injury Doc on Twitter. Uh, he's also a medical analyst over at fantasypoints.com, and he's the host of the Injury Prone Fantasy Football Podcast. That was a lot to introduce, first of all. Um, and on top of that, Edwin is on maybe one of the biggest heaters I have ever seen in offseason fantasy football. Um, with multiple articles we're going to talk about today that have completely changed how I uh, approach fantasy football as well as just covering all the various injuries around the league uh, on Twitter. So my first question, Edwin, is what's it feel like to sit down at the keyboard and to be on this big of a heater? Listen, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, it means a lot. I don't consider myself being on a heater as much as I consider myself just, um, you know, applying some of my knowledge that I have to this game that we probably all obsess over way too much. Uh, my wife is, it's funny. We just had a conversation. She said, I asked her, what do you think is like my biggest strength and weaknesses? We were just having that conversation. She's like, well, you're get, you can be really analytical. When you see patients, you're very analytical. And she paused and she goes, and when you write fantasy football articles, you're very analytical. And I was like, yeah, I probably put in way too much brain power into those articles, but nonetheless, I appreciate you having me on guys. It, it'll be, it'll be a good time. Hope we can get down and talk about some of these uh, injury situations. Well, that that may be why I uh, I was the one to find you because I've never been accused of being non-analytical. That's that's definitely my my route in all aspects of life, including fantasy football. So let's yeah, let's jump into this first article here and maybe the one that I think are going to is going to catch uh, the most of our listeners off guard. The article is titled injury prone is a lie and which I think you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure this would be considered your flagship article this off season. It's in your Twitter bio. Um, so I guess, can you just start by kind of taking us through the premise of that, uh, that article and kind of what you found? Yeah. So it's funny. I've been saying that for a while and I'm not the only one to say that injury prone is a lie. So I shouldn't, I don't want to sit up here, take credit for something that a lot of, uh, injury analysts and, and, uh, PTs and MDs have said in the past it's just the entire premise of the article itself is that injuries aren't as cut and dry as most fantasy managers make them out to be, right? Everybody's either super injury prone and you're going to avoid them, or you totally ignore the injury history and you just go with the flow. The truth is somewhere in the middle. And that's what I try to do. I utilize data information from, I pull from the science, like the actual medical science. I also pull from some of my own individual research uh, on certain specific injuries and depending on the positional demands and stuff like that. So the, the article really what I wanted it to be, I should have wrote it last year, but really it's been something that's been uh, something in the works for like a couple of years now. I, I just wanted to orient the everyday fantasy football manager to how to actually view injuries and how to intelligently decipher when injuries matter. And that's what the whole premise of part one is. And then part two gets into some of the practical application uh, how to do that. And I think it's, uh, I, I hope it's easily digestible. I hope that I didn't get too like heady and theoretical. That's what that, that was my goal. Yeah. And, and I should preface this by saying that I think 
uh, on this podcast, I'm the only one that's read it because I specifically asked these guys not to read the article beforehand. Nope. That way <laughs> they could that way they could come in completely blind and ask you all sorts of questions here and ask you to clarify and everything like sure. that. Obviously, they're both going to go read the article afterwards, but of course, obviously, for the sake of the podcast, <laughs> that, that was that was our goal here. So I, I'll throw it over to you guys. And what, what do you guys have? Injuries or just questions? Questions about the article in general. <laughs> oh, questions. You have well, injuries. <laughs> okay. So, oh, if, if big... we we do not have enough time to go through all no, of our specifics. Our specifics. <laughs> no, uh, the biggest. I've always believed that too. I've never like researched it, but I've always thought that you know when somebody says somebody's injury prone, I just thought that was the easy way out to just you know dismiss a player so you don't have to put too much analysis into it. Um, I guess my my question is. Um, you know, it, are there certain injuries that concern you more than others? Obviously, you know, if a, if a player has a, a lot of soft tissue inju- injuries, does that mean something else where when a player breaks a bone and, and then breaks a different bone, that's just, you know, bad luck. How do you, how do you look at that? Um, you know, the yeah. differences in types of injuries. So if the, if I'm answering, I just want to clarify your sure. question is how do you differentiate when an injury history matters versus when it might be random. Yeah, it's hard, right? And I don't have all the answers necessarily, but uh, maybe we can use some case examples to to break it down. I just tweeted today about James Conner. Since James Conner got into the league, he has had an MCL rupture, the the thing completely tore. That happens less than 5% of the time. He had a high ankle sprain. That's another connective tissue injury. He had an AC sprain that was significant. That's another connective tissue injury. A contusion, kind of a connective tissue injury. And then he just had turf toe surgery this offseason. That is another uh, connective tissue injury. I think at this point, we can look at James Conner and say, boy, this guy sure does have a lot of connective tissue injuries. That's something to be that's something to monitor and something to consider. Uh, The other thing with him is when he does tend to stay on the field, he doesn't really put up these fantastic fantasy football numbers. Right. So there tends to be an inverse correlation between him being on the field and his performance overall. That's a guy that I would look at and say, okay, those injuries probably matter uh, a lot. Uh, another injury that's just pretty much more cut and dry. And even then it still can get, you know, kind of complex. Think about somebody like Brandon cooks every year. I say, you know, since last year, I guess two years in a row now I've said Brandon cooks is a high risk. He's had several injuries, several concussions specifically. And an- the next one could be the last one. The next one could end his career. And, and that still holds true. However, we didn't see that happen, right? He even had a neck issue, which probably had some sort something to do, you know, semi-concussion. That's when they get into the gray area. But concussions are pretty cut and dry. Like you see the issues with Jordan Reed um, that that he had with the concussions. When it comes to something like that, it's not that they are, you know, a walking, you know, ticking time bombs per se. But what you need to understand when you go into it is like, okay, yeah, this matters. This increases their volatility. The chances of this player losing time because of this specific injury is higher compared to their contemporaries without this specific injury. And that's really what I try to break it down into volatility. And I talk about volatility all the time. You can't predict injuries, but you can project sort of patterns. And that's the pattern. Those are the patterns that I'm trying to project forward. That was really wordy. Sorry. No, that's perfect. I guess the only real like question I have right now, it's not really even a, a fully formed uh, question, but um, I'm a, I'm a owner in a dynasty of Kenny Galladay right now, who's, you know, report out of hamstring injuries. And so I, I know hamstrings are extremely common injury when it comes to especially skilled positions. Um, 
how worried overall should you get, especially over somebody who has a history of hamstring injuries, just in particular to really spotlight on one thing? Like, first, I have to say your voice is like very soothing and comforting and deep. And I really appreciate that. You could be like on a Geico commercial or like I think State Farm. You could be on a State Farm commercial. You've got a great podcast radio voice. I got to get that out of the way right away. I just want to say I can't I can't tell you how much that means because I absolutely hate my voice on recordings. I always think no, it sounds man, terrible. Gotta, I think no. everybody hates it. <laughs> you gotta flaunt it, man. That is that is a deep, deep, soothing voice. You could be on you could be on headspace. I don't know if you guys know what headspace is. You could be on that or reading something like that. Anyway, so your story, what was the question? Hamstrings, right? I think hamstrings. hamstrings. All right. So hamstrings are sticky. Hamstrings, when people talk about soft tissue injuries, they specifically oftentimes without knowing it or not are referring to hamstring injuries. Hamstring injuries are most, most common in receivers. They're most common in 26 year olds and they are, they can be just a pain in the ass to deal with you. Mike Evans in week one, Keenan Allen on that Thursday night game, Adam Thielen in 2019, these they're just sticky. They're a boom bust injury. Uh, I wish I had the I mean, I say I wish like I can't just pull it up. So I'm going to keep filibustering for myself so I can read this to you guys. But um, hamstrings are, are, are a problem. The thing about hamstring strains is that they tend to recur within the first year, uh, specific the first calendar year. And specifically, they, they recur about 71% of the time in the first within the same season. Like if they happen within, within one season, the chances of it happening again are about 71%. That's from 2016 to 2019. So that's the issue with hamstrings specifically. So when you think about somebody like Kenny Galladay, and this is where it gets tricky because Kenny Galladay is, I would, I would assume he would miss the average two games that a player would miss regularly for this hamstring string. If we were in season now, he has time to recover. He has time to rehab. He has time to take his time. So it doesn't necessarily mean that it is going to recur. And even if it does recur, it is not necessarily the case that he's going to miss any more time. Uh, just for reference, if if a player suffers a hamstring strain, this again, this is from 2016 to 2019. If they miss a game due to hamstring strain, on average, they miss 1.4 games. The standard deviation is 1.7. So that just shows how wide of a variance there is between players with hamstring strain. So basically, they can miss anywhere from zero to like four games. The median is one, but most often the mode is zero. But that comes with, there's some territory that comes with that. If they don't miss a game, they're at an increased risk to basically just flop. There were nine recurrences that happened in the first week back uh, from playing through an injury during this time, time frame that I monitored during those there were, let's see, I lost it somewhere, but essentially there were um, a handful beyond that, that played through and scored fewer than five fantasy points. So it was, let's see. It was about 10 and I have, I don't have it, the, the numbers organized in front of me properly, but there were players who, even though they didn't necessarily recur, uh, they didn't have a recurrence in the game. The first week back from the hamstring strain, they scored fewer than five fantasy points. So there's about two or three of those uh, players, fantasy relevant players per game that that happens to. So the moral of the story with hamstring strains is if they happen in season, they're a lot scarier than when they happen in the, in the preseason or the early season, but they're still super sticky injuries and they're really, really annoying to deal with. I guess kind of to add on to that, um, you know, one of the big questions that when we put the uh, the call out to our listeners and said, hey, send us your questions. One, one of the ones that came in was, 
what what kind of in- injury histories do concern you or specifically now that we're in the preseason we're getting ready for redraft leagues what injuries that happen now uh make you move a player down your board or c- remove them completely that aren't you know the season long injuries that they're not going to play that sort of thing yeah yeah good question i mean something like what happened with michael thomas that's more so because of a timing thing that's a that's a scary situation to be to be dealing with uh, something less severe, but still relevant. The Amari Cooper situation. Uh, he should not still be having this quote inflammation that he's having in August after he had a scope in January. That's something to monitor. Um, something like with Tyreek Hill, that's not necessarily something to worry about. Tendinopathy is very common. It's not, you know, it, you can manage it. As long as you manage it well during the preseason, during the downtime, it is something that you can sort of push through. And even hamstrings, unless it's like this massive tear, Players can do okay if their hamstring strain comes in the preseason. Now, this can recur, recur like we just talked about, but typically it's not something that, you, that you're too concerned about. Concussions are really the one thing that are a, that are a bugaboo that increases a player's volatility. Um, but when it comes to you know, one specific injury that makes me sort of you know, totally bump players down my board, it's really tough to say. Maybe like a list, Frank, since we know there's a 21% drop in offensive production in players one year after a list Frank uh, for somebody like Tariq Cohen, who is coming off an ACL tear. He's got relatively low draft capital, relatively low athleticism and is just not really, a, you know, the cogwheel of an organization, you know, he's not going to be somebody that I'm super high on. So maybe that makes you higher on David Montgomery. It, it, it just depends. I know I'm not giving you a clear cut answer, so I'm sorry, but it, it, it's really difficult to, to say there's one thing and pin it on that one injury. Yeah, and I guess go, going back to our hamstring dis, uh, discussion. So let's say player X has a hamstring strain. Uh, what week three of the preseason, right? About two weeks before the start of the regular season, with the uh, reoccurrence rate that you talked about, is that something where you move them down at all, or you just go, you know what, he has just as much volatility as anybody else? Ah, good question. See, that's 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 really a really good way to word it. Um, so yes and no. When it comes to Kenny Galladay, right? Let's use him as an example. You could use Kenny Galladay and another player in his tier, in his caliber, with a relatively, I don't know, somebody think of a player who they believe is is equally or similarly as talented as Kenny Galladay. Anybody got somebody off the top of their head? Oh, boy. Um, in the same tier? Yeah. Anybody. I, I think The, the only one I can example- think of is like Chris Godwin, but he's probably a tier above. Yeah, uh, Landry, Landry. That's a good one. So you, you can look at Landry and you can look at Galladay and you can say to yourself on draft day, I don't really know. And you can say, you know what? Let's go with Landry. He played through hip injury last year. He's another year removed from a labrum issue. He's going to probably be okay. And, and Galladay is at that increased volatility. Another example we use is that we've used this year is Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley's foot issue, big picture. I'm really not that concerned about it. It's not something that I'm super overly worried about. But if you really are, you know, in a, let's say a high stakes league or you're in a best ball or you're in any other type of, you know, large style tournament where ceiling and availability is like of the utmost importance, you can take somebody like Calvin Ridley, compare them to Stefan Diggs. And if they're both sitting in front of you on draft day in that specific situation, you're probably going to, you're probably going to go with Diggs or you probably should go with Diggs in that scenario where you're just sort of splitting the hairs. And that's really what to me, injury analysis has become aside from just, you know, no, oh, this, you know, this video shows that this is probably an MCL sprain. Like that's not helpful to anyone anymore. 
really getting down to the nitty gritty of recurrence rates, standard deviations, what it means for their position, how that's going to impact them down the road. And if it's as minute and sort of small as it is for something like Calvin Ridley versus Stefan Diggs, that's where the edge comes in. And if you do that incrementally along every single player that you're drafting and you're, you have that sort of intelligent uh, way to decipher through injury histories, and I think that's really going to give you an edge in the long run. Great. Well, unless you guys have anything else, I'll move on to the next article here. Yeah. Well, I was just going to quick ask um, injuries. Do, does one beget another meaning? Can, I hate to pick on Galladay, but you know he he had a hamstring last year. Then he had the hip injury. Now he's got the hamstring again. Is there's like a I don't know if it's a myth or not, uh, and maybe you can. Or set I know straight. Rob, you you said CMC last year, right? Right. Does does having an injury and then you come back from it cause you to injure another part of your body? You know, especially lower leg injuries. Yeah. So good question. And I think a lot of times fantasy players do fall into this fallacy of like, oh, it's a compensation injury. It's highly unlikely that an ankle injury is going to cause a hamstring injury or a concussion is going to cause a stubbed toe. But you can look at it in terms of uh, workloads. So Christian McCaffrey is the perfect example to use. Christian McCaffrey went from ramping up in training camp during a pandemic season, mind you, to then he hurt his ankle, right? I think that was the first one. And then he... Had to rehab, right? Was off on the side doing rehab. Then he ramped himself back up. Then he hurt his shoulder. Then he ramped back down. And then he tried to ramp back up. All of those workloads that are up and down and up and down and up and down. We know because of Tim Gavitt's research. He's a he's a researcher out of gosh, where exactly Australia. He has put out a lot of good research on workloads and a lot of good research on what it means for athletes when they are going up and down in these workloads. And essentially what he found is there's a three to six times increase in injury risk for soft tissue uh, injuries when a player has, you know, uh, so much variation in their workloads. So in that scenario, yes, workloads and like one injury can beget another one. In the case of somebody like Kenny Galladay, you could technically argue since he didn't play at all last year, essentially, and he didn't really practice at all that this, you know, coming off this, this long season uh, his body wasn't accustomed to it. His workloads were off. And so this is the, the, this, this hamstring injury is a cause of that, but I think it's, it's more nuanced than I think the, the general population might think so. Great. That's all I've got, Tyler. Perfect. Yep. Well, we'll move on to the next article that again, completely blew my mind, uh, entitled mobile quarterback injury rates. Um, and specifically, just to preface the article, basically saying that uh, mobile quarterbacks aren't don't get injured at a higher percentage or volume, correct? And yeah, I'll, I guess I'll let you preface the article. You wrote it. No, no, no. <laughs> it's essentially, essentially what I say in the article, too, is I wanted to make it very clear. I am not saying mobile quarterbacks are less likely to get injured than, you know, quarterbacks who are a statue. The premise of the article is mobile quarterbacks. And again, it depends on how you define them. I, I use, I honestly don't, I'd have to go back and look at, at the cutoffs that I use. They're relatively arbitrary. Um, but what I'm saying is there's no evidence to the fact that mobile, mobile quarterbacks are injured more often than their, you know, counterparts. And it, it's just such an old trope. That's so annoying. And um, I have the, the, the data showing that when you scramble, you're less likely to get injured than when you get sacked. And when you're on a designed run as a quarterback, you're less likely to get injured than if you were to be uh, 
than you were if you were to be uh, just contacted, right? So like knocked down in the pocket. There's this data provided by uh, SIS Sports Injury or Sports Info. Gosh, I always butcher their name. SIS, that's the company. And go. they have this like these this massive data from 2016 to 2019 or 2016 to 2020. It's this massive data, like like thousands of plays. And after you you sort of uh, control for throwaways and stuff like that, the the data remains strong that the injury rates, even if there's no statistical significance, the injury rates between running the ball as a quarterback and just getting, you know, sacked in the, in the pocket or contacted are very, very similar. And in some cases are better when the quarterback is running. Um, so maybe you, if you have the article pulled up in front of you, uh, Tyler, you can read those stat, those data, that data for me. Yeah. Let me find that here quick. Um, I'm like the worst guess. I don't even have <laughs> article. Pulled no, up. I'm sorry. Just, well, just while he's pulling it up, it makes sense here because we when so you're running, you're prepared for it, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so just off the top of my head, um, it would, I think this is probably how the way a lot of people think about it conceptually. If you're on the run, you're more likely to get rolled up on like Dak did last year. You know, think the injuries are going to be more severe, whether or not they're more common. And that's probably why that's where that stigma kind of comes from. Yeah. And I don't necessarily even remember Dak's injury for sure. Is that what happened to him? Did he get rolled up on? Because I honestly don't remember what happened. Yeah, he, yeah, he, was, it, he was rolling off to the to the left sideline and then got hit from behind and got his ankle rolled up on. Uh, okay. Okay. And that's the thing too, is that people will point, and I'm not saying you're doing this necessarily, but I think what, what bothers me the most is that people will use very specific like case examples that are sort of freak of freak of nature issues. And uh, we'll try to extrapolate that out to to the general population. Sorry, Tyler, go ahead. Yeah, no, I so I grabbed the numbers here and you, you'll have to let me know if I'm pulling the wrong numbers here. But no, no, no. Yeah. Um, the numbers that I'm looking at. So uh, any designed run, it looks like has a 0.64 injury rate with about 155 plays per injury. Um, a scramble is about 0.87 injury rate with 114 plays per injury. A sack is about a 1.4 injury rate. So about a percentage and a half with about 70 plays per injury. And then a knockdown has 1.56 injury rate with 64 plays per injury. Exactly. And so if you view that in the lens of what's, what's going to, you know, what, how, how, what's going to be the safest thing. So the safest thing obviously is going to be the quarterback completes a pass and nothing happens. The next safest thing based on those numbers is the quarterback gets the hell out of the pocket, slides down, or is on a design run. And that's essentially the, the essence of the article. That, that's what I try to, and, and the numbers bear that out. And when it comes to severity of injuries, sort of to put a, put a bow on it, Blake, when you mentioned the DAC thing, if you think about the biggest injuries that happened, even in the last year or so, they were, a lot of them were in the pocket, right? Drew Brees in the pocket. Uh, I know it's sort of non-contact when it came to big bends, but it was elbow, right? Was sort of was in the pocket. There are other examples that I use in the uh, in the article itself where I talk about specific injuries. That I mean, yeah, this the sort of the the sitting duck analogy, and that's that's a good way to look at it. So I don't think you should fade mobile quarterbacks. Um, in fact, I think you should honestly take advantage of the edge that they provide. Yeah, and I mean, Alex Smith was the biggest injury since what Joe Theismann, and that was both of those were in the pocket, I believe. Right. Yep. And Rob, we're all Cowboys fans on this podcast, at least not all of our <laughs> listeners are, but uh, you, you'll appreciate that. Uh, Edwin points out poor Tony Romo multiple times throughout this, uh, throughout this article. Oh, good. Oh, and I'll, I'll definitely read that for sure. Now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because honestly, that was that was another example I thought of of like granted Romo wasn't a mobile quarterback, but he definitely moved around a lot in the backfield. Yeah, Romo had some bad luck. He he, he had some bad luck for sure. Um, and and again, and what I'm trying to say is that there's no difference, right? I'm not trying to sit here and tell you that it's safer to run the ball than it is to pass the ball. What I'm trying to say is compared to conventional wisdom, it's a lot closer than people realize. Yeah. Right. And sitting and sitting there as a fantasy owner, like, Oh, I, I'm, I don't want to take the risk on an injury on drafting a mobile quarterback compared to a pocket passer is what you're, basically what we're saying is there's, you shouldn't have to be taking that, that into factor whatsoever. Right. Because it's a lot lower of an upside. And we know that from JJ Zacharyson's work, Rich Rebar's work, there are a lot of people who put out good information on on the upside and the advantage that mobile quarterbacks bring. And the, if the injury rates are very similar and the downside is worse for, for pocket passers, I mean, what are you doing drafting pocket passers? I think uh, just kind of get on slide of tangent. Uh, Josh Allen's a great example of taking that mobile quarterback in today's football. I mean, because he's a, he's a larger quarterback, which usually you associate a larger stature quarterback with a pocket passer, but he's also extremely mobile. And he also really hasn't gotten hurt. Whereas, you know, Mahomes got hurt. Lamar Jackson has had issues, but I think Josh Allen is probably like probably the gold standard for having a mobile quarterback. Who's not going to let you down. Right. Exactly. All right. Um, I guess from here, we'll just go on to some general questions that either we had or our listeners had. Um, First one is, and I believe this is from uh, Nate. Shout out to Nate. He, number one, I, I believe he won number one listener of the year last year. Yeah, yeah. He's a number, <laughs> number one podcast fan. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I don't care um, about your guys' question. Let's do the listener question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he asked, what effect do you see the extra game having on injury? That's a tough question to answer. And it's a good question. And it's definitely a question to monitor. What I think it's going to end up being is if you get your playoff pushed back to week 17, your playoffs, I think you're just going to see uh, more play. I mean, think about like Antonio Gibson, right? I think it was week 16 when he hurt his toe. You're not going to have him for week 17 this year. Uh, that's going to probably be more prevalent. Uh, it, you're you're more than likely to see m- many more injuries on in the last week of your playoffs. Now, does that mean you go quadruple condom play? Sorry, I don't know if you're like a family friendly show. Uh, no, no we, like, we specifically okay. are not. Okay. <laughs> I think all three of us are currently drinking while doing this podcast. Ah, okay. so. <laughs> good, good, good. So you could go quadruple condom and like draft all your handcuffs. Ultimately, though, there's probably no way around it. Just just go to fantasypoints.com and read my tears article. You know, t- 21 Borras 10 for a 10% discount at fantasypoints.com, right? That's like that plug. So read my Shameless. injury tiers. That's where I'll, everybody with the highest risk, you're going to learn about the highest risk players at each position. Well, I guess let me let me ask this uh, another way is, are you changing the way you play fantasy in season uh, to account for the extra game? Or when you're, you know, when you're getting towards your trade deadline, are you changing anything about your strategy um, going into the playoffs? I'm not. Okay. Perfect. That's a simple answer there. Um, let's see. We already asked that one. Mm-hmm. I, I think we're through our, uh, oh, no, we do have one more from Nate. Uh, again, Nate's number one, number one yeah. listener here. Um, he asked, uh, do you account for bad offensive line or bad team play in any of your <laughs> analysis? That's AKA, a good question. <laughs> you know, we, we look at um, Andrew Luck getting just yeah, murdered right, in the pocket right. all the time. Joe Burrow last year getting yes. murdered. You know, yes. uh, running backs as well. Honestly, not as often as I probably should, but it is a consideration on the backside, sort of on the on the after my initial. Just what are what is their likelihood of being uh, sort of 
you know, injured in the first place. And then taking into consideration the entire situation. That's sort of what I do on the back end. But yes, I do. I probably should do it more, but it does go into consideration with, with my, my assessments. Gotcha. Awesome. Like Rob, did you have anything else before we jump into players? No, let's, let's get at it. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good to go. We'll, we'll go just right hit in. a bunch of players because I know we got to get you out of here. Um, Cam Akers, the number one injury so far. Um, and, and moreover, talking specifically about Achilles, you know, if you, if you want to talk about Marlon Mack, um, OJ Howard as well, because um, we know those Achilles injuries are brutal. Yeah. So the Achilles injury on Cam Akers, right? I think the question everybody wants to know is can, can Cam Akers come back and be as productive as we thought he was going to be? The bottom line, because of the way tendon remodeling works and because of how different it is from an ACL tear, the bottom line, and because of the data that we have uh, based on, on past NFL players, the bottom line is we cannot with confidence expect anything more from Cam Akers than like 80 to 90% of what you think his ceiling might've been. Does it mean that he cannot contribute? No. Does it mean that he won't be, you know, a fantasy asset? No, not necessarily. But we, I think a lot of people are taking the approach of, well, there's no data that fits his specific demographic. Young, right, 22, uh, in a good offense, was going to give an opportunity, given opportunity, had high draft capital, right? All of the good things surrounding him. And people want to take the approach of, well, there's nobody that ha- that's been in his specific situation. You inextricably, you inherently accept the fact that because there's no data showing that he is that he can't come back that there's no data showing that he can come back and be 100% if that makes sense so what we're saying basically is we don't know we'll see but based on everything the physiology and the data i don't think we can really necessarily expect any player at this point to come back and be what we thought their ceiling could be when it comes to Achilles and what about those older guys you know um obviously Marlon Mack probably less of a factor for redraft leagues but OJ right. Howard those guys that tore it a little bit later yeah, those, and I'd have to look at how old OJ Howard is, but Marlon Mack's another good one to look at too. Marlon Mack is a fourth round draft pick. He wasn't, you know, he was average, right? Maybe slightly above average before this, this injury situation. He's going to be somebody to monitor. Um, it's not to say that he, he can't come back and, and contribute, but this does tend to be a, an injury of the older player. And which is why the data doesn't necessarily apply specifically to Cam Akers. But like I said, physiologically, it still would make sense for them to have sort of some of their bursts taken back from them. And, and the, the more athletic you are, obviously the better off you're going to be, but the same thing for Jordan Howard applies, right? We, we, everybody was really excited, including myself about Jordan Howard's specifically because of his athleticism, right? Well, we didn't really see that pan out. And so now we're going to get Jordan Howard after, I mean, I keep saying Jordan Howard, OJ Howard. Yeah. OJ Howard's 26, by the way, OJ Howard. Yeah. At 26, he's getting up there for an NFL player. Um, Everybody's super excited about his, about his athleticism. Well, he might have some of that zap now. So what is it really to get excited now for? Is it possible? Yes. Am I betting on it? No. I don't think that it's it's pragmatically it doesn't make sense to bet on somebody coming off an Achilles. We're, we're just not there yet in the science. And if I remember from one of your pre- previous tweets, it, it you're looking at something like a 50% drop off if you're, you know, upper 20s, right? Yeah, it depends. It depends on what data you're looking at again. Um, and the power rating was like some crazy touchdown um, yards, you know, receptions and and this this big 
it was a validated tool that they used to measure a player's power. And yeah, they did find that that type of sort of performance is decreased by up to 50% in a lot of these skilled players. And ostensibly, the less athletic they are to begin with and the less talented they are and the less opportunity they're going to have after the fact, the worse, the worse off they are. Perfect. I think the next player we wanted to ask about was uh, Antonio Gibson. Obviously, at the start of training camp with the turf toe, we were hearing it's not, it's still not 100%. Um, you know, we're not quite sure. Obviously, latest reports have been good. Uh, but, you know, I guess what I want to know is do you think that that's just coach speak? Um, and, uh, or what, you know, what do you see as far as a recovery for Antonio Gibson? Yeah. And I don't want it to make it seem like I'm doing a lot of hand wringing over this specifically, but it is abnormal for a player to say after six months, Oh, my toe still isn't better. By the way, that doesn't spontaneously recover. You know, that doesn't just go away. So we can expect it to not go away. What I anticipate overall, he's probably going to miss a handful of practices here and there. Maybe he'll start to miss every Wednesday practice. Twitter will freak out. He's going to end up playing most Sundays. He might miss a game or two because of the turf toe. Specifically, he might play with a he might play with a foot plate. But ultimately, I don't really expect it to impact him as much as I think some people will interpret what I say and say, oh, my gosh, you know, the sky is falling. What I will say is it's another perfect example. Whoever you think is in the same tier or this or a similar tier as Antonio Gibson, this is definitely a time to say, okay, if I think that they're similar, then I'm going to go with the other dude because you you know that that's it's not a not necessarily information we have on the other guy. So go with the other guy if, if you're really that concerned about it. And in some cases, I might be. If I'm looking at I don't know Antonio Gibson versus Joe Mixon, I'm probably going to go Joe Mixon 100% of the time. So maybe that's not the best comparison, but this is another example, sort of like the Calvin Ridley one, where you can use that to your advantage. That's, that's uh, not great to hear as somebody who just traded for Antonio Gibson and Dynasty. Well, well, for and again, from a big picture <laughs> perspective, maybe you're not going to hit ceiling. It doesn't mean that you he won't provide floor, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, the, the big one that's been that people have been doing hand wringing about is Michael Thomas and this ankle or foot or, you know, quite frankly, just as, you know, part of the general fantasy football population, I'm having a hard time just figuring out what the hell is going on. Yeah. So Michael Thomas, right. It's sort of a weird situation. He didn't have surgery after he went to a specialist in January. The specialist said, you can rehab this. Don't worry about it. Try this rehab. Maybe we don't need to cut you open. Ultimately gets to mini camp in June. The Saints team docs are like, what the hell, man? Why didn't you have surgery on this? He had a rupture of the deltoid ligament, one of the thickest, broadest ten, uh, ligaments in the body. It's a very, you know, not uncommon for it to be injured with a very, with a really severe high ankle sprain like he had. So finally went and had it fixated in June. This is about a three to four month recovery on average. It takes about 103 days total from the day of surgery on average, based on a study done in, in the Netherlands on soccer players for these players to come back from this fixation injury. So 103 days from, we're going to assume, we're going to guess because we don't truly know, let's say June 15th, because Nick Underhill reported that it was the surgery was in June. So basically three to four months from June is when we should expect Michael Thomas back. It's just a headache of a situation. He's at the very bottom of my wide receiver injury tiers this year, very bottom of the red light tier. Because we don't know what his thoughts are on the team. We don't know if he's disgruntled. We don't know why he made this, this, this decision in the first place. And on top of that, the injury itself, if not managed carefully, can sort of come with its complications if he comes back too soon. So there's just so much, go there's so much going on to this situation that I'm just not comfortable taking Michael Thomas unless it's like, you know, post ninth, 10th round and I have an IR slot. 
Great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was right. Cause that's definitely not how I would be looking at Michael Thomas at this juncture. So that's, that's uh great to know. I think the, I think the best case scenario, if, if I want to paint the floor, the floor is like, you just get nothing from him. Right. Sort of like you did last year, except in different context, the ceiling with him is, Oh, Holy cow. It's week 10 and 11. And Michael Thomas is looking like Michael Thomas. And now I have two wide receiver ones on my team as opposed to one. And that can be league winning, but mm-hmm. I'm not counting on it. So it depends if you're like, he's one of those guys towards the end of my season. Here's a little tip. This is, I didn't anticipate telling you my secret in <laughs> leagues where I fall behind. Maybe I get to 500. Maybe I um, am below 500. I know a lot of us don't like to admit that happens to us. It happens to us all. I will trade for high volatility injury players like Michael Thomas. Like last year I was, I was in, in a specific league where I was, I was down. And I made offers for Michael Thomas and I made offers for Christian McCaffrey and I made offers for Nick Chubb. And honestly, it, it helps. It helped me get in the playoffs in one league um, and it helped me not be embarrassed in another. So it's definitely a, uh, if you're if you're shooting for ceiling, a lot of times you need to embrace the volatility. JJ Zacharyson says that a lot, but embracing volatility when it comes to injuries is also a, a really smart solution behind the leagues. Perfect. Now well, I can't I be in a league with any of you. that's okay like i said this is going out to our league so we're sharing everything that you're telling unless unless we just decide to bury this recording right (laughs) this comes out after the season we're actually not recording (laughs) yeah um i know we got to get you out of here so i'll just do a couple more quick hitters for you sure yep um quick hitter curtis samuel with his groin injury don't worry about it don't worry about it unless we hear more about it later on perfect uh joe burrow with the acl Ooh. Ooh, ooh. Not a quick hitter. All right. I've I been thought saying, that was going to be a quick hitter. I've been oh, saying shit. since I'll try to make it a quick hitter. Yeah. I've been saying since June, Joe Burrow back in week one is not a slam dunk. It has never been a slam dunk. I know you want to take a 23 year old with no scientific bathroom backgrounds word for it, but he was never guaranteed to be back in week one. The soonest any orthopedic surgeon or physical therapist will feel comfortable with the player coming back from a regular ACL is eight years. Joe Burrow had a massive tear of the ACL. He had an MCL tear. He had a meniscus tear. There was partial uh, PCL damage and there was also capsular damage. So the basically exactly what it sounds like the capsule it all sits in was definitely damaged with all that involved. No surgeon in their right mind would feel comfortable letting him go out there before nine months. Week one is going to be nine months and 10 days. That's cutting it extremely razor thin close. Now we're getting reports out of camp that he doesn't look comfortable. And the thing about the quote unquote, it's just mental guys. If it was just mental, then it would be just mental. And we wouldn't be hearing about it. Mental and psychological aspects of the game and recovery very much play into rehab. I've done this right with, with, with helping, helping athletes rehab from their injuries. Like half the conversation towards the back end of the, of the rehab is, do you feel comfortable doing this? What do you feel when you do this? And they're more than capable of doing it. And we're seeing that being manifested with Joe Burrow right now. It's not to say that he won't be back for week one, but you, if you haven't been hedging your bets with Burrow, you definitely should start hedging your bets now. Got it. All right. I mean, just, and- just as, a, as a quick real insert there, I had an ACL reconstruction at the end or in the 2019, and I still don't feel like my, my left leg walks right. Like it, I, I went rehab and everything. So, Yeah, and, and that can happen. That can happen. And, and it... <laughs> It's less likely to happen when you have 24 access, 24 hour access to healthcare. Um, at the same time, it's not so much that we're worried about his function. It's that are the is he going to be comfortable, and is and are the Bengals going to be comfortable 
putting him out there in week one. And maybe that's not the case. Gotcha. Last player, quick hitter, Saquon. You're making me quick, hit, quick, hit, <laughs> quick hitter, quick hitter. Okay. Should have went Dak Prescott well, banging, for a quick hitter. Yeah, I, I've been I've been banging the table for Saquon, but I don't want to make it seem like he comes without risk. I think Saquon comes with some risk. There's a 20 percent chance that he either is on the injury report for hamstring strain or mm-hmm. knee, you know, quote unquote knee. Uh, that's been the case since 2015 in skilled players with with uh, ACL tears. There's a 27-year study done on NFL players with ACL tears. The number one predictive factor for them to come back and perform at previous levels is high draft capital. The second is being an offensive player because this is just league-wide, right? And the third is, God, I always get these confused because I sort of like extrapolate from them. But the third is um, athleticism, essentially, right? Opportunity. And the, the better off that they are the, the better of an athlete that they are, the more likely they are to come back and perform at high levels. Right. And this is a 27 year study. He's got 10 months since the surgery. It's been it, uh, at week one, it's going to be 10 months and, and 12 days. We just talked about Joe Burrow needing at least nine months. Saquon Barkley, even though his positional demands are, are much higher, is still going to have 10 and a half months. He's an ultra athlete. He's the closest thing we've seen to Adrian Peterson. Um, uh, to Adrian Peterson since Adrian Peterson. And he's obviously in a situation where the giants are saying they're going to take him along slowly. I have a really hard time believing they're not going to see flashes and be ready uh, to, to put him out there. So I don't think he should be falling to the second round. That's if I had to put a bow on it and say like, what is the summary? You should not be letting Saquon go past the 1.05, like period end of story, in my opinion. Gotcha. We can hit we can hit those quick hitters as long as they're quick hitters. You can't hit me with Saquon Barkley and say they're quick hitters. I've <laughs> right. been pounding the table. Well, the just guy. with how much you've been pounding the table, I, I figured it was going to be Saquon. <laughs> Great. I, I just take every opportunity to just go off on the soapbox. That's that's so that's that's a me problem. All right, quick hitters, non football related. You're down eight. You just scored. One mm. minute left. Are you going mm. for two or are you taking the one? Down eight. And yep, you just and scored. You just scored a touchdown. Why yep. would we kick a one? Is there, is there time left? Yeah, there's one, one minute. minute left. Oh, there's one minute left. Oh, dude. What the heck? Why aren't you going for two? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm not yeah. triple condom. I'm not triple condoming anything at that point. Uh, Go to shot. And obviously we're talking alcohol, not toward all. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, what? Go to shot? What do you? I'm, I think I lost, you lost me. your, your, your go to shot at a bar. Oh, I go to shot. Oh, okay. Um, Man, Fortaleza tequila. Are you guys, do you guys tequila drinkers? No, uh, I'm answering this like, question correctly, right? Or did I just out myself? Yes. Yeah. No, you're, oh, okay. yeah, sure. I, I, I love tequila. <laughs> not like the shit tequila, like, you know, Don Julio, yeah, Jose okay. Cuervo, not that yeah. shit, but real tequila. I do like, yeah. you should, it, hate, you it hates me. If you, <laughs> if you haven't tried Fortaleza, F-O-R-T-A-Z-E-L-A, if I spelled it right. Um, my spelling is much better in English than it is in Spanish, although I speak Spanish. Um, Fortaleza tequila. Anybody out there? I don't get anything for this, but you should go out. It's so smooth. Chill it. Don't even need a lime. Fantastic. All right, Edwin. I'm I'm pulling this one straight from your podcast. Uh-oh. Uh oh. What's the most drunk you've ever been? 
Oh man, putting me on blast. Hey, you ask your guests, so I, I gotta ask. Yeah, right. It's only fair. One of only one fair. of the podcasts that this is going out to is called the Hangover Podcast, and it's for the <laughs> Dynasty League. So I had to ask it. All right. I need to keep it at least somewhat family friendly, considering I'm a medical professional provider sure. um, at this point. Although these stories are all when I was much younger. Um there was a time where I'm going to keep it PG there. I promise if you want after hours, we can talk after hours. I'm going to keep it PG. My now wife, girlfriend at the time, and I were walking home from one night and <laughs> we were walking through a totally flat. It was actually through campus, walking through campus, totally flat. Um, I fell and ripped my favorite jeans um, walking home. I was so unaware currently at the time, at that time, I was so unaware that I stood up and I said, why would you push me? My wife had never put her hands on me. She doesn't put her. I was like, why would you push me? And I talked to her, her ear. I like yelled at her for five minutes about how she pushed me down when I was in the middle of the campus, when she was like 10 feet behind me. And it was, I didn't, I, and I woke up the next morning and I was like, you, you, uh, you didn't push me to do And She's like, no, that's, that didn't happen. <laughs> so that's, that's definitely up there. That's like a top 10. And, and what was your drink of choice that night? Oh God, man, we were in college. It was like, uh, <laughs> some rip off uh rip off what's it called the the captain morgan rip off captain morgan i think it was like oh oh admiral admiral, admiral, admiral jerry's admiral, admiral you got it admiral, admiral nelson oh gross. Admiral nelson. That's <laughs> sailor jerry's is what you guys drink that's what i was complaining. man so. you really outed me on that one tyler i like that question <laughs> <laughs> well i definitely i definitely want the non-pg version afterwards <laughs> yeah absolutely right. but uh you what's your most rewarding career moment Oh, I like this question. I saw this question. I liked it. Um, I've had a, a handful of patients. I'm about to get really syrupy. Sorry, guys. I've had a handful of patients, and this probably happens to a lot of physical therapists. Um, will say, you listened to my problem and you inspired me after our sessions together to, to help myself and to get healthy. And that's like textbook definition of why I got into physical therapy in the first place was help people help themselves and inspire them to not need me. And so that's like that. The first time that I, that happened to me, that was like, Oh, Holy cow. I could retire now. Um, then I took a look at my student loans and remembered, no, I can't retire now. <laughs> Perfect. And then last one, uh, what's your favorite charity or what charity would you encourage, uh, anybody to go donate to? Oof. That's a good one too. Um, project Onyx. They provide uh, basically fitness forward services and resources for communities. They specifically right now are in Iowa. Um, they, they provide resources for the community to get healthier, get fitter. Um, and they're, it's ran by two people of color and inclusivity, inclusivity and diversity is very important to me um, personally, just because of my own background. Um, doesn't matter if it's supporting, you know, uh, black businesses or Latin businesses, whatever. I'm, I'm huge on that. So that's project Onyx. Did I tell you that we, that we were from Iowa or did you just guess that? I did not know. No. Yes. Yep. Yeah. No, we're all in Iowa. That is, that is perfect. Yeah. That's cool. I didn't know you guys were what part of Iowa. Uh, East side. East side. Okay. So yeah. let's see. Project Onyx are about us. I don't know specifically where they are, where they are, but I'm pretty sure they're in Iowa. Yeah, well, we we talk about it after the show, but I'm pretty sure they are. Perfect. Well, 
I, I know we went long. We really, really appreciate this. This turned oh, out awesome. But Grimes, yeah. Iowa. They're in Grimes, Iowa. Okay. Oh, where's Shit, Grimes? They make, they make some really good vodka out there. There you go. <laughs> I love I love that. I love that Rob's contribution was they make good vodka. <laughs> All right. Sorry, guys. Go ahead. No, I, I was just saying that this turned out uh, this turned out better than I think I could have ever imagined. I, I I'm sure I'm speaking for Blake and Rob there as well. I thank you so yeah. much for joining our our little podcast here and giving us your time. Uh, I want to encourage everybody again to go follow at FB injury doc on Twitter and go check out all of his content on uh, fantasypoints.com. Um, and I think actually I was scrolling through. So you have a whole thing about hamstring strains on there and you're mm-hmm. currently th- going through and posting your uh, injury volatility tiers for this upcoming season. So mm-hmm. a bunch of the stuff we talked about today is all in the articles. If, uh, if you want a more in-depth look. So thank you again. And uh, we'll, we'll have to talk again at some point. Yeah, man. Get me back on. A lot of people okay. say they're going to get me back on then They never do. So I'm oh. always up for it. Dude, right. do not extend us that invitation because <laughs> I'm ready for we'll, it. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll call you every week and go, Hey, uh, definitely. You want, you want to be our injury uh, insider every week? <laughs> what do I up. do here? <laughs> Hit me up. Hit me up. All right. Thanks. All again, right. Man. Thanks, Thanks man. Thanks.